I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is the Monaco Grand Prix Special Director's Cut Edition. That title supplied on Twitter by at Gunnar Hamfosi. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How was your Sunday, Matt? It was hot. It is warm here. My apartment is currently north of 85 degrees for those of you who measure in freedom units. And for those of you who don't, that's going to be around 26 or 27. We're very jealous of you here in the UK because we have had 85 months of rain in a row. We did, honestly, as a nation, we tried to blow it all the way over to Monaco, but it didn't quite reach. Ah, that's a shame because it would have been a welcome extra entertainment to a fabulous race. I had a good Sunday, whatever happened. We had a better Sunday than Leclerc anyway, who I'm convinced has a Hulkenberg-style deal with the devil. Yes, my child, you will be rich, handsome and talented. You will want for nothing and you shall shower in glory, but you will never finish a Monaco Grand Prix. (laughs) Yes, well, it is actually on par with one of the classic American sports curses, the Boston Red Sox, who for some about 100 years failed to win a world championship and then eventually they did so but it is it's a perfect record for Leclerc he's never finished one as a Formula One driver since Matt's talking about baseball or basketball or whatever it's time for me to tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first joining us on the podcast from his dungeon of doom, it's Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? 
Very well, thanks, Spanners. Um, not the most interesting race, but I still think there was tension and intrigue in it. We can still discuss some interesting things, though. Context is needed for, for this weekend. The shame for me is that so many new fans get attracted to watch the Monaco Grand Prix and it's not representative of F1 as a whole. But if we could sit down with all of them individually and go, hey, guys, look, here's the deal with Monaco. Here's how to enjoy it. As much as I complained last week, I can still sit down and have a great two hours in front of the TV. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd rather watch two hours of Monaco than not watch a race at all. Monaco epitomises half of Formula One. That's the glitz and the glamour. The other half, the cool on-track racing action, it doesn't quite grasp. But it gets the glitz and the glamour, glamour at least. It certainly does. And talking of glitz and glamour, glamour, uh, the most glamorous member of the podcast today is Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Jeansy? It's going well. I enjoyed the race today. Listen, it wasn't a screamer. There wasn't tons and tons of action, but there was lots of stuff to talk about, which is great for when you're doing a podcast. Um, and it just, for me, it's always about the element of the drivers. And I can't wait to talk about that. You've got lots of little ones running around like me as well. My oldest one is is now really into F1 for the last couple of seasons. This is his first Monaco Grand Prix. I gave him the option to not watch it. And I was like, look, I really tried to build his expectations of like, there are going to be long periods. It's going to settle quickly and stuff might not happen for a while. And he's there watching the timing screen the whole time going, yeah, but dad, maybe. I'm like, no, no, that won't be. Yeah, but what if Perez? Yeah, but he he won't. So, so at least I was there to put it in context. Could you interest the kids in the Monaco Grand Prix, Alex? My eldest who's six is getting close. Um, but at the moment, it's still very much, oh, daddy's watching racing cars. Where's the iPad and the other stuff I can do? <laughs> and I just want to get them out of the lounge so they're not noisy and I can listen to it. Fair enough. Uh, but guys, let's compare this not to other F1 Grand Prix. Let's compare it to other Monaco dry Grand Prix. And even in that context, Kyle, there was very little on-track action, even compared to a standard Monaco Grand Prix. I wonder why that why that was in particular like this this race. Um, I'm not entirely sure. The last two we had were actually really quite dramatic. There was 2018 with Daniel Ricciardo losing 160 horsepower and just about hanging on. There was 2019 with Lewis with completely dead tyres just about hanging on. And there was quite a bit more midfield sort of kerfuffles. Um, today's race, they just seemed to sort of spread out. And unfortunately, everybody was incredibly well behaved and well mannered to each other on track. We were, we're, we're, a, we're a big crash and a safety car short of some drama, I think, in this one. And also, Matt, I guess not helped by the fact that we had probably one of the fastest cars out ahead. A lot of the drama comes at Monaco when we have a, a bottleneck up front, but Verstappen was on the pace and able to push. Yeah, well, we did have some bottlenecks. Bottlenecks. Sorry. Bottle. Just had to go for the full English there. Yeah, you got some bottlenecks. Stop. And they were, unfortunately, um, I think the car is most likely to have provoked a safety car because I think Kyle put his finger more or less on it. The big missing factor was the safety car lottery here, uh, giving a chance at some on-track passes and some mixing up of the order. The the cars most likely to have provoked that were so far off the pace, they finished three laps down and weren't ever really in serious competition with anyone outside of maybe the run down to Sandovat. So I'm no, I'm no Monaco apologist, but what I will say is, yes, this was a particularly uneventful Monaco, but all the races on the track have that, uh, don't they, Carl? I mean, like you can have an exciting Spanish Grand Prix. Most of them ebb on one side or the other. But even the Grand Prix that we look at and we go, these are absolute thrillers. You will get races on one end or, or the other. And this just happened to be 
it just happened to be the track with the least general action, and this happened to be an outlier of even less. Absolutely, as you said before, it's a it's a it's a thing of context. So even um like the last race we had at Barcelona. There wasn't that much overtaken, but it was an exciting race by Barcelona standards. It was still exciting. Previous Monaco's, we've had drama and tension, and we're never quite sure whether it was going to be the way it was until the very last lap. This one, we didn't have it. So yes, it was a boring Grand Prix in the context of Monaco. It wasn't one of the best ones, but it still had drama. It still had tension. It can't be explosions all the time. Uh, Unlike the Italian entry to Eurovision, which absolutely was, No, I think we completely 100% missed out on some very dramatic action because, as we'll talk about later in the show, uh, there were some differences to the normal TV broadcast this time around, and they missed a lot of stuff that might have made for a more entertaining spectacle at home. That is an excellent point in between talking about baseball and Eurovision. Nil point, UK, nil point. Um, Alex, from a racing point of view... In previous Monaco Grand Prix, we have have seen some overtakes and we have seen at least multiple overtaking attempts into turn one Sandovat and out of the tunnel into the seasidey bit. But I didn't remember after lap one seeing a single attempt even. Um, we were kind of robbed uh, a little bit because of um, Charles Leclerc putting it in the wall in qualifying. We'll decide later whether it was by accident or not, um, and the Mercedes just being less of a challenge to Red Bull. So what we missed out on was Charles Leclerc being a bottleneck yeah. to Max Verstappen, um, which would have been fantastic because those two have history and that would have been fantastic and we were robbed of that. Um, and if Lewis was there to be able to battle Max, it would have, again, added that extra level of spice because we know those two can go at it. Um, but I'd have been happy with just the Charles Leclerc thing. But unfortunately, as I promised we will get into later... No, no, um, no. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's do, do it now. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. I just need to find the right button. There it is. Qualifying. These are new. The qualifying. You're, you've just broken the fourth wall, Alex, by commenting <laughs> on the new bumpers. That's right. If you go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe to us, join 10,300 other people that think subscribing to Missed Apex Podcast is a super neat idea. You will see that Uncle Steve has done a new suite of bumpers, breakers, and music to try and kick us up to the new level. So even if you're an audio-only listener, Go and check out the YouTube every now and then or join us in the live chat. So for, search Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. And if you're a YouTuber, can you just download the podcast anyway? Come on, subscribe to the podcast, download it anyway. Do us a solid. It'll be there for you on your long car journeys and your commute to work. So we'll talk about qualifying uh, right now. Um, I think what we need to start with, Alex, you ham uh nut job, is to address the elephant in the room, which is... A Mercedes, but mostly Hamilton was lost, absolutely lost on pace, not just in the qualifying session, with all the free practices as well. He never looked like he was going to challenge for the front row. Yeah, he it never quite worked for Mercedes, for Mercedes as a whole. And I mentioned this during practice and during qualifying. Because of the long wheelbase of that Mercedes, it doesn't quite look as nimble 
as some of the other cars. Yes, Bottas got it to work because he got the tyres working, which was the key thing that Lewis struggled with this weekend. Um, but yeah, Lewis never quite seemed at the races and then all the way through qualifying, he seemed to abandon so many laps. Because obviously at Monaco, they fuel them up to do multiple runs just because of traffic. And every single time I looked at Hamilton, he was bailing out of the lap because someone got in his way. Um, and that's... That's the deal you have to deal with at Monaco. Your team finds you space, you find yourself space, and you work with it. It didn't work for Lewis. He didn't get it done. Bottas got one really ultra lap in on Q3, which got him where it got him, which was fantastic. Um, yeah, so it just never quite worked for Mercedes this weekend, and I don't really know why. And by the looks of Lewis's face after the race, after qualifying and after the race, he doesn't know. know why either. Uh, Matt, if you were a Lewis Hamilton Mercedes fan, not like me, I'm neutral completely i don't i don't mind i just want good racing guys um you would rather they had a bad race at monaco than at paul ricard red bull ring or barcelona yeah it was perhaps never going to be the best suited track to their car but let's remind ourselves that in qualifying uh the track temperatures were below 30 mercedes is a car that has a hard time warming up the tires and even though they brought new front brake ducts to one would presume help with that clearly whatever they did um, to set up hamilton's car between thursday and saturday uh, was not successful although if you look at his fast lap time in the race you'd say that it might have been pretty well set up for the race but not for qualifying and we know from um from toto that there was some disagreement about how to proceed after Thursday's practice. And I believe the team um, went the way they wanted to go. uh, And Hamilton was overruled in terms of what he wanted to go with. Yeah. On that, as Matt points out, um, Hamilton in various interviews has not been a happy boy. And he has used the phrase, there'll be some tough discussions tonight. So as Matt said, it sounds like he, the team went against the direction he wanted to go in. And he mentioned again, he said on Saturday, they tried it and it was a disaster and it got worse. And then again, on a strategy, um, I would love to be a fly on the wall in his debrief because I think he's going to be laying into his engineers. Fair enough. Uh, Carl, you're probably the closest thing we've got to a Ferrari fan in that you, <laughs> um, in, in that you wish them no general harm. Yeah, um, I think it's fantastic to see them up there. It's a third team up there that's capable of taking wins surely everybody wants to see that regardless whether you like them or not and it's great um i like Charles Charles leclerc and i like carlos Sainz, so it's nice to see them two doing well they seem like very nice chaps ferrari yeah maybe not so nice chaps but they can provide us with entertainment for fighting for wins so why wouldn't we want to see them up there and it's great that they are i have i have to say obviously guy you guys know that i consider ferrari to be the death star they ruined the late 90s and the early 2000s formula one for me and yes when they had their fuel woes i kind of i was like (laughs) a little bit i'm sorry i couldn't help but enjoy uh, the slight penalty they were taking but yeah it's, it's kind of too much I preferred it when we had Ferrari up front fighting Lewis Hamilton with Sebastian Vettel. That's where Ferrari should be up at the top. That way I get to enjoy them being beaten all the more. Um, when they were looking so strong, Alex, in um, in the free practices, I was, so t- I was torn between, yes, get your hopes up, Ferrari fans. Let yourselves believe. And actually thinking the Ferrari fan base is so loyal and passionate that they were actually due they're actually due a result i would not have begrudged a ferrari win at all this weekend 
Yeah, my view on Ferrari has softened um, in the last year, mainly because drivers, man, I like the drivers. Yeah. I, I love Carlos Sainz. I love Charles Leclerc. I think they're brilliant drivers. I think they're great personalities. And Ferrari haven't done too much death starry type things since they got told off for their engines so they're not they're not the nastiest team on the grid at the moment i prefer them at the moment to red bull trumpets well i'm going to divert everyone and momentarily argue that i now think that ferrari has the best driver pairing on the entire grid oh that sounds like a deep news show topic but it's a tough one to argue at the moment because Signs, Alex, has definitely adapted the best out of the drivers that have moved, and that has given them a massive advantage because that's like six, seven teams we're talking about with new driver lineups, and he's slotted in like a glove, which gives Ferrari an edge in that department. It's almost like I was saying that Carlos Sainz was a really great driver and incredibly underrated um, a couple of shows ago and before he actually got to Ferrari. So, you know, the guy took it to Max Verstappen, and... The only reason Max got the nod, I think, over Carlos was because Max had come in as golden boy anyway. He was on the same trajectory as Seb. So um, I have always rated Carlos really, really highly, and he's proving it again. He's moved to what was a very difficult car last year into a car that is obviously easier this year, but he is doing a good job against Charles Leclerc, who I rate as one of the best in the sport. All right. So Charles Leclerc and um, Carlos Sainz end up right at the front of qualifying after the first run in Q3. We've got Charles Leclerc in first place. He's got the fastest time. He's not doing well on that outlap. He's ahead of his competitors behind him. He's, he feels that the track has gripped up because he's good, isn't he, Charles Leclerc? He can feel if the track is gripping up, if conditions are getting better. Everyone's improving except him. He's seeing yellow. He's seeing yellow. He gets to the end of the lap, thinks... My dream, my dream of winning my home Grand Prix is disappearing in front of my eyes. If only, if only there was a yellow flag of some sort. I know, I'll tap the barrier and I'll bend my wing into that corner and then there'll be a yellow flag and I'll get pole. Whoops, too hard, I've broken my drive shaft. And that is exactly how it played out. Does anyone want to argue that completely obvious thing that definitely happened? No, no, not all of you. Come on, Kyle. (laughs) I uh, I definitely don't think he did that on purpose. Um, and the result that he got on Sunday, he didn't start the race. Now, Benotto is adamant that it wasn't to do with the crash and the gearbox, but it's too much of a coincidence to think that <laughs> there was something <laughs> wrong with that. So he wouldn't do it. Um, did he change his approach to that lap, knowing the position he was in, i.e. he could take more risks? Absolutely. Did he put it into the wall on purpose? No. Uh, Matt, I heard um, the interview with Charles Leclerc after the race and they're saying, you know, what was the problem? What was the thing? Was it the gearbox? Was it caused by the crash? And he's, you can just see him going, oh, well, it might not have been. It, not, it might not have been that I stuffed it into the wall in Q3 and like broke my really expensive, delicate prototype sports car. It might have been something completely unrelated. But I mean, it definitely was the fact that he shunted it into the barrier. Surely. Right. Uh, so... Where we are is we can say with categorical categorical certainty that it is plausible that the damage to the mounting point for the left drive shaft in the hub, which is where the failure occurred, was impacted by the crash on the right side of the car. And this is because I was clever enough to watch uh, Sam Collins 
on F1 TV afterwards, and he discussed that incident and talked about everything they replaced. But he mentioned that the drive shafts run into the differential and that the, the way the right hand side drive shaft failed would have sent it through the differential, impacted the left hand side drive shaft, mm-hmm. and could therefore have delivered a shock capable of weakening that attachment point. And then on the outlap, when torque was applied, which was the first time the reconnaissance lap, we saw it under load, then it failed completely. Is a drive shaft changeable under part ferme without penalty? You can change like for like. And if it's a damage, you have to get, I think, permission of the FIA ahead of time. But they inspected it, I believe, and did not see any damage, or at least that's the impression I got. So it may have been the kind of damage that you don't see, but is still there. I don't know the materials that are used for the mounting points. Yes. Like something like aluminum. Yeah. So, so like if it's a part like that or a fr- front wing, or even if you flat spot your tire, you can do like for like, and you can probably claim safety. There's a specific rule with the gearboxes because that was originally to do with cost and limiting the amount of gearboxes they used. I don't know how relevant that r- rule even is nowadays. Ranjin. Um, so it's, I think it is still cost. Every, every single thing they have to minimize the amount of things that go on the car is all down to cost. Um, and the teams hate it because it means they have to do all sorts of different things with it. But the issue I have here, if it was the drive shaft that was the issue and it's not a gearbox. So if it comes back and it's not a gearbox issue, not that they'll ever tell us if it was a gearbox issue. Yeah, they won't. <laughs> unless, unless he has to have a new gearbox for the next race. But isn't the next, no, the next race is the sixth race, isn't it? Yep. It's six races, gearbox have to last all. So if Leclerc doesn't need a new gearbox the next race, um, then he is actually going to be okay as far as the crash causing damage to the gearbox. If they didn't change the drive shaft and there was an issue with the drive shaft, maybe a hairline crack, that's on Ferrari for not changing that part if they could have done under part Ferme conditions. Yeah, I I agree. It was quite surprising to hear Bonotto say, um, uh, quite nonchalantly and a bit frosty towards the interviewer, it was... He was like, well, no, it wasn't that. It was on the other side of the car. And no, we didn't check it because it wasn't damaged. So he admitted that they didn't check, didn't which check I it. find quite amazing. So I'd agree with Alex. I think that's probably on Ferrari. Does, because he didn't start the race, does he get a free gearbox anyway? Oh, I'm not sure. That's worth investigating. Uh, let's so look at that. Yeah, we can look at that later. Wait, let's look at that later, because I want to talk still a little bit about the crash itself. Now, <laughs> my mentions were absolutely obliterated because Brad decided to reply to one of our tweets, Brad Philpott, um, saying that it definitely was deliberate. He's convinced, isn't he, Alex? It's a shame we didn't have him on today. Um, but he sort of, he made his case very fervently. He made some good points and some that I, I don't agree with. The first thing I want to address is the people on Twitter who are going, everybody who has says that Charles Leclerc would never do such a thing and a driver... A clutching their pearls. I'm clutching my pearls while I do this. A driver would never deliberately crash to advantage themselves. I would just like to point those people to the entire history of F1. Like, that drivers have definitely had a history of crashing to benefit themselves, to going off uh, for and causing yellow flags. Bottas did it a couple of seasons ago. To Hamilton, he went off and it looked blinking deliberate. Schumacher, of course, has done it uh, at Raskas here at Monaco. Rosberg did it definitely on purpose. I think there's nobody left that thinks that Rosberg didn't act. Not only did he go off and cause the yellow flag, he reversed. It's 100% deliberate. So the notion that somebody would deliberately cause a yellow or a red flag, Alex, to to advantage themselves when they're already 
top of the timing. It's not unbelievable. And Charles Leclerc isn't somehow morally above the rest of F1. He's a competitor like all of them. So I like Charles Leclerc. He's one of my favourite drivers on the grid. But just because he's handsome and he smiles at the camera he's a lot. So and handsome. He does, and, he does, <laughs> and he does funny videos doesn't mean there isn't a dark side to that guy. He grew up racing Max Verstappen. And those two had so many incidents in their junior categories where each of them would smash each other off the circuit. So it is not beyond um, what uh, Charles Leclerc is capable of. Now, so when we talk about this corner, what, and I've talked to Brad a lot about this, um, and I'm, Brad's 90% certain that he's right, and I'm 75% on board with Brad. Okay, well, relay that argument. Please don't send hate mail to Alex. (laughs) So, um, the, the biggest point for me was obviously, yes, I agree with Kyle, what Kyle said before, which was, was he throwing caution to the wind on that particular lap? Yes, but I think he was already down in the first two sectors. So he knew at he that knew. point, yes. as he entered the, as he, is it, is it, is it the Rascasse or is it um, swimming pool? Swimming pool, yeah. yeah. Swimming, swimming pool. pool. So, yeah. so as, he, as he's exiting swimming pool, he knows he is down in his previous laps. He also knows it is highly likely that the likes of Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz are up on their lap. And he's still throwing caution to the wind. He isn't going to make up the time lost in those last three corners of the circuit. So he throws it into that right-hand apex and probably throws it in a little bit more. First of all, you see from the camera angle, there are two bites as he turns and then turns again. But the key thing for me is when he hits the wall. When you watch what happened to Latifi, Latifi yeah. in qualify was it in practice, sorry. Yeah. Um, he's hit the wall and his hands instantly correct to go the other way. And that's what you do naturally. If you're in any situation, in any sort of vehicle, and you hit something on your right, you turn left because your body is a natural response to do that. But if you look at Charles Leclerc's hands, he turns right, he hits the wall, and he keeps turning right until he hits the wall. That, for me, is really, really suspect. Kyle? Yeah, I counter that that, um, on several points. Well, one being, if you were going to do this, the swimming pool, which we have traditionally seen people put themselves, Max Verstappen put himself out of qualifying. I think it was 2016 yeah. in FP3 for doing the exact same thing. It's got a history of wrecking gearboxes <laughs> against the outside wall. So one, yeah. it's not a very clever place to do it. Two, on the on the hand reaction thing, the difference between Leclerc and Latifi was Leclerc actually snapped his wishbone or his track rod, so lost all the load going in from that tire. So it's like when you're stretching, you're stretching a rubber band and it suddenly snaps, your hands are going to go apart. So then his hands are then turned in because he's lost all the load. Latifi didn't. And also, if he was going to do this and feeling a bit nefarious and decided to do a Schumacher, the best place would be was just to clip the inside wall at Raskas and then just park your car. Schumacher's problem was he didn't hit anything. So Leclerc could have <laughs> done that. Why do it in a high-speed place? Um, so it was the sheer risk versus reward, okay, and on. it just wasn't adding up, which makes me think that he didn't do it deliberately. So what Kyle is saying is he's doing it in a, in a place that is believable because there's a history of crashes there. Good. Okay, so we've established that. And uh, Matt? Well, I'm, I'm going to be Team Kyle on this one, um, not just because he's the most handsome panel member, but simply because the Raskas argument for me really is the biggest problem because where he was when the crash happened, uh, Max had, Max had purpled the first sector. 
He was two tenths up on Botas, who was 18 hundredths of a second up on Hamilton, and Gasly was the only other person improving. If I really was going to use that as a tactic, I would might want to know how everybody was doing at the end of the second sector, which Raskas would give me that opportunity to do, have more information. And as Kyle points out, it's just, it's a better place because you don't have any risk to the backside of the car. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's absolutely believable that that's the kind of mistake you would make trying to ring the last hundredth out of that corner. Small points from the last two of you, then we'll move on to the race. You are, if you go off at Raskas and do what Michael Schumacher did, you're going to get done. It's obvious. If you go, it's too obvious. If you do it where Nico Rosberg did it, it's too obvious because Martin Brundle and Simon <laughs> Lazenby called Nico Rosberg out this weekend, which was hilarious. We'll get to that later if we have time. Um, so doing it there is the best place to do it. Because, and the other reason for keeping the steering lock on is to try and make sure that car aims head first into that barrier so that it doesn't damage the back of the car. Yeah, yes, it, it, it ends up hitting yeah. Yes, it ends up hitting the back of the car. But I think that is the best place to do it if you are going to try and get away with it. I think it's all wild tin hat theories, personally. Yeah, um, of course. I think he made an honest <laughs> I think mistake. So what is done, he said himself, he said he was throwing extra caution to the wind. He, like, he was absolutely going for it. I think he's gone full wang into the corner, expecting, because he's carrying a few extra clicks, of speed in there he's expecting the front tires to scrub a little bit more and they didn't they just perfectly hooked up and gripped and got him into the wall he was fully expecting to understeer there i think okay so the last point i'll make on that is just the guys saying uh that they would see i know if it was fake i could spot it look when you spotted it it was because it wasn't good enough i'm not suggesting that it was an accident all i'm saying is don't use that logic because you think you can spot people with a toupee no you only see the bad toupees. You don't notice when someone has a very good toupee. Uh, but now it's time to move on to the race. And Matt, tell us where the race was won and lost. Well, the first and most important place the race was won and lost was the reconnaissance lap, where Leclerc, whom we have just been magically discussing, discovered that his car was not going to make the start. Now, that matters to Leclerc in terms of winning and losing, but it matters to the rest of the field because the race director made a very interesting decision. Rather than shuffling everyone up a spot, leaving Verstappen on pole and Bottas starting beside him, he left uh, the pole position empty, which set up a very interesting start to the race, but crucially gave Verstappen uh, enough of an advantage to be able to pinch Botas going into Sandovote and take the lead of the race from the off. Now, at first glance, I'll, I'll, I'll look to the, the racers among us. At first glance, it looked like it was typical Botas bottling out of a, a wedge. But I, I don't know. It didn't look like he lifted, Carl. It looked like he just, by the time he got there, the door was already shut. Yes. And if he hadn't have lifted, it's Max Verstappen. He wasn't going to move over and give him room and he probably would have taken them both out of the race. <laughs> I was hoping, I was hoping finally we'll get to see a little bit of body time going into turn no, one. Kyle, we almost, no. <laughs> we almost got it. Um, you see, Max was convinced that Bottas was going to get straight up his inside. So hence on the grid, he actually aimed his car at the inside. He did a full Schumacher chop and is well within his rights to do that. But Bottas, I thought, actually drove incredibly well in that first stint. He recognised what was happening and instantly got out. Otherwise, we could have had the half the grid being taken out. I think we had another case of people avoiding crashes with Max Verstappen. 
because Max would have kept coming across. I think Bottas could have slotted his car in there. And I think somebody a little bit less bottly than Bottas um, actually might have stuck their nose in there and Max would have ended up in the wall and there'd be car pieces of car flying around, but Max wouldn't do it again. At the moment, no one seems to want to let Max hit them at the moment. And I think Max is using that as a tactic. And it's okay. And I think he's taking on that old Schumacher center line of we're going to have a crash. It's your choice. We can have a crash here. It's your choice if we do or don't. So just to just to acknowledge the chat room. Yeah, we know we know about the body time thing. We've 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 acknowledged this. We've addressed it. It hasn't changed. There will be further words after the show. Uh, But the poker analogy, I think, still sits well, which is, you know, in two handed poker, Max Verstappen on every move is just going all in, whether or not he's got the cards or not, whether he's got aces or just a, you know, a high king. He's just going, he's going all in. And other drivers at the moment are folding. So he has control of the table. So on Matt, I think just in the heads of all the drivers in one-on-one battles, Max Verstappen is absolutely 100% in everyone's heads and they know he's going for it. And until someone's just accepts a crash with him and says, no, I have a right to be here. Hit me if you want and forces the issue. Verstappen is going to just live rent free. Yep. And I could not agree with that basic sentiment more. This is racing at the end of the day. And it always comes down to putting, you know, as with all gambling, what it really comes down to is having the other person make the choice, not you. And he's very, very, very good at having the other person make that choice. Yeah, and um, sort of backing up, sort of Alex has been was preaching all throughout the race. Was he was so gutted we didn't get to see Leclerc in that position because guaranteed, if that was Leclerc and Verstappen going wheel to wheel, I do think they are the two who will end up clashing because Leclerc's not going to back out. Verstappen won't going to back out. But fortunately, <laughs> we got denied to denied seeing that. Well, and it's interesting too because if we think about stakes, I mean, the stakes for Bottas are pretty high. Hamilton is nowhere. He's trying to get to the lead he's carrying the flag for mercedes and you know he's on a one-year contract and we've already begun to hear, hear rumors he's already had the crash with russell it would be pretty good for him to win a race or at least yeah. be mercedes lead driver be the person who's there carrying the banner Bottas has a bit to lose leclerc ferrari where are they third are they going to be first or second nope absolutely not he on the other hand had less to lose than verstappen who looking at the points would want to finish the race intact. So yeah, that would have been an interesting duel down to the first turn. Um, we'll get into a, into it in a second, how I think Bottas would have been the, the best option as as viewers to go into Sandovot first, looking at how he performed towards the end of the first stint. But before we leave lap one, there was a little bit of action there. It was nearly an amazing start map for Esteban Ocon, who ended up overtaking two people, nearly getting Perez, but Perez held it into Casino. And then because of that, Ocon then lost the two places that he gained, I think, and and was a net level. But some really good hard racing from Ocon on lap one. Yeah, he got a brilliant start side by side with Perez into the first turn all the way up. And finally, you know, around um, uh, Beau Rivage, he he lost out, snacked into line. And Giovinazzi afterwards uh, in an interview said, I remember watching film and seeing Grosjean make this beautiful overtake on the outside on the way into Mirabeau. And, and he said, sure enough, Ocon fell into line. There was just a car's width on the outside. So he yeah. just planted it. 
went round the outside, and Ocon, being mature enough to be sensible now, <laughs> backed enough yeah. out of it to and and let him go, and then had to fight off Stroll, who came up the inside on the way to the hairpin. So it was some really great racing yeah, on the was. first lap at the at that part of the field. Yeah, a bit of a deep breath. Anytime you see Perez and Ocon together on track, especially at Monaco, especially through those sections, you go, oh, "This isn't going to end well." Kyle, we also got to see a good move into the hairpin from um, Mick Schumacher on his teammate Mazpin, which is very, um, very advantageous. He took advantage of it. Um, Mazpin was obviously not trying to crash into anybody and the concertina of the cars and Mick just absolutely shoved it up the inside, clonked wheels with him and went through. So that was, that was good to see, albeit probably the only on-track overtake apart from the Vettel and Gasly one we saw. Well, generally, if you're willing to hit, go wheel to wheel, you can, you can make those kind of moves. Maybe not this year, but certainly in the past... Uh, for example, it was the Jules Bianchi pass, wasn't it, at Raskas, where he went on the inside of Kobayashi, and I think he just like banged his wheels once. Kobayashi didn't get out of the way, so give him another knock, and then he's off on his way down the straight. Yeah, um, yeah, it's rude. I mean, I think any passes that you do in Monaco are going to be rude, and then you need the other person <laughs> to be fully cooperative. Um, luckily, between teammates, it will be. But um, I going back to what Matt was saying with the. Um, Ocon and um, I think it's Ocon and Perez battling. Yeah. I think there was some more battling with Stroll and Ocon. I think we're battling quite hard together as well, but I think the director may have missed it. Well, right. When do we address the direction match? Should we take a quick detour into the race direction? Because you'd mentioned it in the intro. Uh, the race could have looked more exciting, but for some bizarre choices. I don't want to knock the broadcaster because I, it's incredibly difficult to cover a race, but it's worth noting that this isn't the normal broadcast team. This is Monaco's own broadcast team. Yeah, it is Monaco's own broadcast team that calls this race visually TMC. Uh, FOM, I think, does the pit lane and onboard cameras TMC for a variety of reasons, which may or may not include the fact that they want to control the image of the principality that goes out to the world feed is in charge and has always, as far as I know, been in charge of the, the televised side of things. So what you get is a once a year company yeah, in charge of the racing and in charge of calling the action. And we know how difficult that is, but yeah, they missed almost everything that was important in, in a staggering, staggering way. And it's a shame because this is a race that really needed the director to be all the way on top of it. Absolutely. I fully agree. There are some pretty solid reasons why it's TMC who do this race. And one of them, namely being logistics. So FOM might not have, um, there isn't space for, for, for the full FOM kit in Monaco and in the paddock. So the TMC, they're the locals at Monaco TV station. They already have sort of equipment and stuff around and offices there where they can, where they can go and actually put all this together. So it's really, really hard. Uh, totes to Jules Seeger, who was, good to getting information for us for that that's um that's really good but unfortunately maybe it was a new director because on monaco they're usually pretty hot and we usually get some very good images so i don't know whether it was a new director trying it today or whether he was just asleep okay so uh, the the biggest miss of course matt was um at the pit stops which i think we're probably getting towards now anyway and it was lewis hamilton coming out with, with gasly and uh, then Vettel doing the overcut ahead of him. And you go, oh, my God, they're going up the hill. We're finally in this race. We've been so patient. And now we're getting some... At we're looking at Stroll at the swimming pool. Uh, well, yeah, he he messed that up. Okay, back to the action. Oh, a replay of Stroll not doing very well. Uh, so what happened? 
Right. So if you want to go at it that way, yeah, the, the next most important place where the race was won and lost had to be the pitting of Botas. He was losing his tires. Max was serene. He was churning around on that track, having no issues. Botas, his tires were going. And Carlos Sainz, who had been sort of there or thereabouts, he'd been sort of tailing on and off. Norris was, was struggling a bit to keep up. Sainz all of a sudden mounted a charge. Next thing you know, he's less than two seconds back of Botas. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Lewis Hamilton pits. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, absolutely. Let's focus on Bottas just for the second, because Bottas was fighting for the race win. Lewis Hamilton wasn't. And it comes over the team radio. This has happened over and over again, Alex. Over the team radio, sometimes it's Toto. Sometimes it's uh, his race engineer. They give him words of encouragement. They're like, come on, guy, you can do it. And today they were like, "Okay, show us your pace. Bottas did not show us his pace. And it's chronic. Now, stint one, he is unable to hold on to his tyres till the end. It basically negates him as a force in F1. Whatever it is about his driving style, he's clearly quick. It's particularly the end of stint one on the quali tyre. He just can't hold it. And that is taking him out of the F1 competitive equation. That's not true. For one lap, he gained half a second. And then he dropped the five seconds back. Right. For one lap, he gained half a second. And I was just, I was like, I was like, yes, come on, Bottas, go for it. Because it was really good seeing him hang with Max. And then it's like he did one push lap, destroyed his tires, and then just fell away. And it was just, it was so painful because if the other car was in that position, I think it would have been a very different race. But he wasn't. He was back in seventh because he screwed qualifying and didn't get a setup right but anyway um and then from that point on from that point because max was saying in his interviews afterwards that he had pace in hand so he was watching for things to compete against yeah and from that point i knew the battle was over very harsh comment from scott doro in the live chat bottas did show his pace like every race savage matt but it's not entirely unfair kyle quickly then matt I just wanted to, to defend Bottas slightly and just point out to the fact that he had outperformed Lewis Hamilton all weekend. Yeah. He was ahead of him. He was the number one Mercedes. Yes. The car wasn't right. He managed to work with his engineering team and managed to get it working. So we can't throw him under the bus too much. He 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 handed it to Lewis this weekend, essentially. Sure. Uh, he handed it to Lewis in a weekend where qualifying is super important and qualifying is the time that he can he can really show what he can do against Lewis Hamilton. Can't do it in the race, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think this brings us to an interesting thing where we just need to consider the basic characteristic of the Mercedes car. They have a hard time warming their tires up. They manage the tires better in hot temperatures than the Red Bull does. And that's because essentially of how the car is balanced and the way the downforce on the car works. Now, if we think about qualifying being cool and Botas doing well, the assumption one makes is this setup was to put a lot of energy into the tires and they were able to get them working in a way that let Botas compete and that really disadvantaged Hamilton. Now, make the track temperature 43 instead of 28. Well, now Botas is going to be the one who struggles with the tires, and that's never been his strong suit to begin with. It's not a surprise that he was graining the tires and beginning to struggle when he did. That was the opening of the pit window Pirelli predicted for the one-stop strategy yep. on the soft tire. Not the end of the world until he comes into the pit lane. And Mercedes can't take the wheel nut off. 
That yes. was the real problem. Otherwise, he'd have been out and he'd have been second or third and it would have been a podium for him yeah. and Hamilton in seventh. And he might even have done better on the harder tyre throughout that long stint. You don't know. Yep. Uh, Lerhund in the chat is saying, yeah, Lewis didn't do anything in the race either. Um, that's true because he was stuck. Um, but you, I think you do get the feeling that you know, the pace and everything was was normal Lewis pace. He just had had a shocker on Saturday in the race where you can't you can't do that at the Monaco weekend. Yeah, you can't. And and it does also sort of bring us sideways into Mercedes strategy, which is, first of all, why did they pit Lewis when they pitted him? Because I was already making the observation, given Botas tires going off, their only real hope was to run Lewis super long, like Stroll did. And, and take advantage of his ability to manage the tire. And instead, they bring him to, to try and undercut. They bring him in in a car that's terrible at warming up tires and put him on hard tires. I mean, his first lap out was a 118, which is two seconds slower than the cars were currently lapping. And it killed him. Hands up if you were screaming when Lewis Hamilton came into the pits. Everyone was, because at Monaco, we don't see people going for the undercut. At Monaco, you stay out for as long as is humanly possible, Alex. What have we discovered about Lewis Hamilton in this era of Formula 1? What's the one thing he's really, really, really good at? Tires, baby. everyone else. Yeah, tires, baby. Him and Perez. So the person you do not pick first in the entire race is the guy who has categorically shown that he is the best on tires. You let Lewis run for as long as he wants to. And he even said after his pit stop, why did you stop me? I was actively um, saving my tyres. Why did you stop me, Kyle? And as Brundle said in the commentary, this is not the race. The engineers have almost a harder job than the drivers in this race. You do not question your team at Monaco. You don't know what's happening or what's happening around the track. Yeah. They tell you to pit, you pit. You don't second guess it. And Lewis was furious, probably even more furious that when they pitted him and stuck him on the hards. Remember back to 2019? They put him on the mediums easier to fire up and he proved he could get them to the end so they've, so they've stuck him on hards which are even harder to fire up it was a complete just my head was in my hands yeah. when i saw that and i'm just like what have you what have you done and it was horrible and it just kept getting worse although i will say if he was on the mediums and it is easy to be um armchair uh, tacticians and we, we know mercedes are a great organization just in this race this is how we saw it i don't think him being on the mediums would have made too much difference uh, with gasly vettel and Perez but it just kept getting worse because he's like wait why am I behind Gasly this is really bad and he's like well I could guess I can get over it hey why am I behind Vettel now and then someone had to break the news to him that Perez had also got and it was just um wait Perez is still is ahead of me as well because Perez was nowhere Perez was miles behind him and you could just feel the sick feeling from the race engineer Matt couldn't you where he's like Oh, God, man. Do you reckon they drew straws? Like, they drew short straws around the garage? Right, who's going to tell Lewis that Perez is now in fourth and you definitely could have been in fourth? Yeah, that would not, that that would be a job I'd want hazard pay for, at the <laughs> very least, if I was being honest. No, but it does bring up the question of why did Mercedes pit him? I don't think he was a direct threat to Botas. I mean, you could see because the overcut is more powerful and that's going to be our last place the race was won and lost. Because the overcut was more powerful, I could understand this would be a rare instance where you might pit the trailing driver first yeah, to preserve the lead for the leading driver. But they were so far apart, I don't see that as being a big thing. And more to the point, you could always pit Hamilton out of the way if you need to, if he's going to be uh, obstreperous about 
moving for his teammate on a different strategy. So I, I, so I don't see it. I, I literally am still sitting here trying, wondering what was going through their minds, why they decided to do that. I agree with Matt. It was, um, even the more we look in it, look at it and analyze it, the less sense it makes. Um, you could argue, oh, well, they were maybe protecting from an undercut themselves, but from who? He had a massive gap behind. I think Mercedes has seen the gap. They've, they've just suddenly thought, oh, we've got a golden chance, not considered all of the factors and just decided to, to go for it. Um, I, the more I look at it, the less sense it makes to me. You know, you bring up an interesting point. Um, despite the fact that we believe all this is done by supercomputers back at home pace, uh, the reality is almost all these decisions are made by human beings in the moment. And it's one reason why McLaren has like five race engineers working on a weekend for two drivers so they can consider all these possibilities. James Vowles runs strategy for both drivers. To the best of my knowledge, that's the way it was. And it's still that way. It might just be, oh, when was the last time we were at Monaco? A couple of years ago? Eh, well, you know, eh, maybe a few things fell out of some people's heads in between. And in the moment, all he saw was we can put Lewis on a good tire and run him into free air without considering how rapidly the other teams would be able to react to that and, and just lose him positions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go, kiddies. We're going to play a game. But before I do that, I want to address uh, a complaint uh, we got a three-star review from Australia that said, I used to like this podcast, but they're constantly promoting themselves and asking you to subscribe to their Patreon. The reason we do that is because without our Patreon support, we just wouldn't be here. There would be no Mr. Apex podcast. We would have been swallowed up by other demands. There is no way that we could spend the time that we do on Mr. Apex podcast without you guys supporting us. If you... Do deem us worthy of support on uh, patreon.com forward slash Mistapex. 
come and join us in a fantastic forum on Slack for our Patreon supporters, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. You will also get an ad-free feed. And how about this? Why don't we do a feed that doesn't include me asking you to subscribe to Patreon? So from now on, the one ninety nine feed will include a no spanners begging for his existential uh missed apex's existential crisis to uh to be resolved by your patreon support patreon.com forward slash missed apex we're here because of our patrons now then let's play a game that you might not be expecting that we'd play today whose fault is it Oh, Alex, you sweet summer child, looking all quizzically at me. What Spanner's done? Has he made a mistake? Has he imagined an accident that didn't happen? No. I am talking about whose fault is it between Derek, the front right... Was it the front right of Bottas's tyre that got stuck? Was it the front right wheel nut guy, who, by the way, looked absolutely gutted, gutted for that fella? Or was it Derek on the pit lane who fitted the tyres, to Bottas's car. So me and Kyle will take this one because we're both spanner monkeys, aren't we? We're both engineering type people by trade. Unfortunately uh, so. It's a nightmare. It's the nightmare scenario for a pit guy. He's He knows what he's doing. He's drilled to do this. He is a mechanic. These are mechanics. They've got other roles in the, in the, in the team. But these are guys who know what they're doing. They are people who are workshop guys. They know tooling. They understand. This isn't like, you know, getting Jeff from marketing in to go, oh, Jeff, you need to go front right today. This is like a trained mechanic. He's doing what he's trying. He's trying his best. He does the thing. It doesn't happen. You see them go through a range of procedures to, to, to try and, and get something happening. We've seen lots of slow pit stops in the past in F1, but I cannot remember the time that a wheel simply would not come off and actually retired a car. It's the absolute lamest DNF <laughs> on Bottas's point of view of all the reasons to go out of Monaco from second place, mm, it hurts. Yeah, poor Vateri. Um, and on the weekend where he had been outperforming Lewis Hamilton as yeah, well. Cruel. It just, um, Fully cruel. The guy, yeah, the guy can do nothing right, it would seem. Um, I think the damage was done and his race was over, as you say, as they were fitting those wheels on the grid before the race started. And then add in lots of vibrations, lots of heat. I think the, the nut was cross-threaded as it was put on then trying to get it off again, you could see we've talked about this as um, yeah. they must have like a torque limiter or a clutch yeah. on them. So it doesn't apply too much torque. And I think you see him and there must be an override. I think you see the mechanic when it's not coming off, he turns it, he kind of looks like he's bashing it, but it's probably hitting a button to override the torque limit, putting it back on. Then it just spins and you see lots of metal going everywhere. And then it's essentially turned the axle into a rivet and it's yeah. not, it's never, it's never coming off. So we should explain like torque limit. You've probably got it on your electric screwdriver at home. You can set a setting where basically when it's already tight in the hole, instead of continuing to turn and just destroying the screw, a clutch will engage and it will just start sp- uh, spinning free. So I would imagine on these pit stops, they put the nut on, they go, and the it's going clockwise, it's fighting your hand, the handle's trying to go anti-clockwise, and at some point that goes light, and you know you've reached the torque limit, you pull the, the gun away. But when you undo it, surely they just give you maximum power. So there might have been a torque limit on there that then they're going, and it's spinning free because it's been cross-threaded, um, and now, like you say, you're banging it on the ground, trying to release that, trying to give themselves the maximum power. But the really the key point out of all of this, Matt, is it wasn't that front. Remember, we said we wanted to know more about the pit crew. If races were going to be decided by pit stops, we wanted to analyze the performance of the pit crew. So I just want to make sure that 
front right jackman uh, wheel gun guy Derek isn't getting the blame for this because I think it would have been done when you put it on, not when you took it off. Yes, if it's a cross thread, and as a trumpet player, I have tiny fine threads that I have to deal with when I take things apart. And when I was a small beginner, cross threading the valve cap was the worst thing you could do. You just like lived in fear of cross threading it. And what happened and what you're discussing is literally that wrench, that torque wrench, machining off every single edge of that wheel nut. So there is no way anything short of a specialized tool uh, or right. maybe if they had a rubber band. No, no, I, I, I'm going to just correct you slightly. I'm sure it is exactly the same as putting a, a trumpet mouthpiece on or whatever. But Kyle, I think they wouldn't have been like rounding off the nut. The nut will have been turning. It's just that the the actual axle that it was attached to will have like swollen on the inside and, and made it just spin free. So they're sitting there trying to do it and it's just spinning free. We're guessing, but that would make sense. Yeah, it's pure speculation, but I think what's happened, the nut was engaged, it snapped the threads off, then the threads have made a nasty mess on the other threads, yeah. and it's all gone round and essentially turned the axle into a rivet and made a big burr build up, and then they can't get it off. Because the fact that we saw the car quite a considerable amount of time later in the race, they flicked to it, and that wheel was still on the car, and they're like, that's going to be a mess, we'll probably get that off when it's in the factory, <laughs> but they've got to give the tyre back to Pirelli. But also, um, they probably did end up threading the nut at the end, but um, it might well be Derek's fault. It depends who put that wheel on. I don't know whether oh, the, yeah. the guy who does the pit stop was a guy who put the wheel on, and it might have been a horrible case of he put it on his own. That might have been a bit dodgy. It would be all right, and it's come back to haunt him. Uh, Matt, then Alex. Yeah, well, I only mentioned the rounding off because you could see the sparks on the replay coming from inside the, inside the gun. Okay, fair yeah. enough. And uh, there's this chat room comments there that seem to agree with you as well, Matt. So uh, incorrect challenge, perhaps. Oh, I'm right. Well, we don't know. Just that one guy in the chat room. We don't know, do we? Uh, Van Jean. Um, Ted said in the notebook uh, on, on Sky Sports was uh, apparently all the, all the teams seem to have a way of getting around this, which is a basically a stick and a hammer, and they can knock them in half and split the nuts in half to get them off in these situations. But for some reason, Murky, they don't have that system or didn't use it. Okay, and also you could have rounded off the nut after the damage was done, so it could have got seized there and then you round the nut off afterwards. Well, this is what I think it was. I think it was initially the mess cause and it wasn't coming off and then them keep on trying and going on and mashing it and then they just rounded the nut off as well. It was just yeah. complete. It was lost by then anyway. It made no point. You, you might as well keep jamming it on and having a go. Okay, next topic then, Matt. The power of the overcut. Okay, we in F1, we talk about the undercut all the time as being this powerful weapon you get in you get on fresh tires yeah they're harder tires but they're fresh so you can pump out some lap time and try and make up a delta enough so that when the other guy comes in you're already up the road why doesn't the undercut work at monaco uh magic pavement there's very little tire degradation at monaco relative to almost every other track the track isn't power sensitive and you know, I mean, I guess if the race left it late enough, you could run an undercut if the softs were run out to maybe lap 50 or something like that. You might get away with it. You might be able to run a faster outlap. But it's because the pavement isn't that grippy. It takes longer to warm up the tires. So your outlaps are slower. Now, I use Lewis Hamilton as a prime example here because he got done first by Gasly. He comes out. His first lap on the hard tire 
was a 118, and that's in free air. There's no traffic. He's not passing anybody. The cars on the soft tires that were hot and sticking to the pavement were running 116s at that point. He lost two seconds on his outlap trying to get the tires warm. Gasly was in um, following Botas and I believe Signs came in that same lap. And Gasly was out and was just like, oh, man, this is easy. You have gifted me this position for the rest of the race. Now, now what's interesting, and this brings me to a topic that I do want to talk about, because I feel like we should anoint a king strategy, a king strategist team here. Because there were a couple of teams that used the overcut. Aston told Vettel, uh, dude, get on your horse and go. Vettel went, they brought him in, did a pit stop that must have been Red Bull-like in its intensity, chucked him out, and he came out with, are you ready for this, mm -hmm. a two-tenth of a second advantage on Gasly as they charged up the hill. And at the end of it, at the top of the hill, Gasly backed that tiny bit out, and Vettel had made up two places with a single pit stop. Mm. But he wasn't the real winner. The real winner, I think, um, was Perez. Okay, well, let's just pause there. We'll get to Perez in just a second. It's worth acknowledging that Sebastian Vettel has had a hell of a torrid time this season, Kyle, and he's ended up at the Monaco Grand Prix in fifth place in a car that no one is rating this season we need to give props for that. Absolutely. It's fantastic. He's showing his class. Uh, it was a worrying first couple of races. Fantastic strategy. All weekend, he'd been looking good in that Aston Martin. No mistakes. Nailed the strategy. Moves up. Uh, I can't remember where he started. Did he start seventh? No, no, eighth. Didn't he start eighth? Uh, just behind Paris Lewis. You know, he just, just behind Lewis, wasn't it? Okay. Um, yeah. So he's moved forward anyway in the race to get a top five in an Aston Martin that nobody was expecting to go well around Monaco. Totes to Vettel and it's great to see. At Monaco where basically no one gained any places except Vettel and and maybe Perez. Matt. And Alcon. Well, and of Alonso. Course, of course. Pretty much anyone who ran the overcut gained places. Oh, but Perez was yeah. the biggest winner. It's just so crushing, isn't it? Like I know there's Hamilton fans listening to this. Like it's crushing that it felt obvious to the so-called armchair experts. And a lot of the time you get criticized for being, oh, you're an armchair expert and it's hindsight. It's easy in hindsight. But I'm pretty sure if we had this conversation and we managed to pause the Grand Prix, just pause the Grand Prix before the first pit stops and say, what should Lewis Hamilton do? Oh, I'm sure in the moment it was different. Alex, tell me why I'm being unfair. Before the race even started, I was in a conversation in, in my Discord chat with a bunch of guys in there going, well, Hamilton's obviously going to go long. It was, it was like, it was an absolute no-brainer that Hamilton will just go and go and go and go and wait for a safety car. Yeah. There was no, he's seventh. There's no other option because just overtaking one car under an, under, for an undercut that doesn't really work at Monaco is like, You've got nothing else to try. Try that. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, Perez then. Again, another shocking Saturday. Once we got... The, there's no escaping that. I'm a Perez fan. I'm his biggest apologist. There's no escaping that at all. But again, uh, an underwhelming Saturday uh, and puts himself at the back of the grid at Monaco. There's no hope for him, really, Matt, at this point. He's completely gone. But when he does get to show race pace after he's released, it's there. So... He is able to put in the the fifteens. He is when he's he's dropped back to get out of the toe of Gasly several times, and then he's he's pumped in fourteens when people were doing sixteens. The pace was there. 
It's just, you know, he's, he's paying the price for having these rough Saturdays again. Well, you were literally looking at the person who might have been Lewis Hamilton had Mercedes, like, just woken up and removed its head from whatever particular place exactly. it happened in to be case, hanging out. In case you wanted to defend the Hamilton strategy and say, ah, the overcut wouldn't have worked at all, Perez goes from ninth to fourth. And, yeah. and actually, it could have been better. So looking at the lap times, initially with the overcut, Perez is pulling away from signs. So he comes out, I can't remember the exact numbers, but he comes out nine seconds ahead. It goes out to like 12, 13 seconds. So it's looking good. You kind of think, well, if we can keep this up, second place and you get a one two for for red bull and i think today that would have been par for sergio perez we we've talked about fourth being par when it's red bull versus mercedes but i think today really second was the result qualifying aside that perez would have wanted to have gotten with mercedes out of the equation and second would have been on except there came a crossover point where signs is hot uh did he go into hards Signs had had gone into hard and they had warmed up enough to overcome that pace deficit. And actually, Signs had started to claw back and Perez's pace was just dropping back enough that the maths meant it was no longer on for Perez to just go to lap 77 and pick up that one too. So that's a really impressive thing from Ferrari that they directly affected Red Bull's strategy and they had to win. They had to win that second place from Red Bull. Oh, yeah, they absolutely did. And I think it's kudos to Perez for making that overcut work. Uh, Stroll, I know, went long on the hard tire, and we'll get back to Aston in a second. Uh, But, you know, I think the argument would be really, uh, maybe they could have had third if they could have extended it a little bit longer. But then they also run into the problem of once Verstappen was clean, they pitted him. And then that left Perez in front of his teammate, and they were probably not going to give him the opportunity to stay there's out that. Yeah, there's that, that as well. in yeah. any event. They want Verstappen to win no matter what. And so they were maybe willing to take the loss of a place in order to let the their front, their leading driver win the race, which, you know, seems kind of sensible and reasonable when you think about it. No, no, it, it does. And also, as soon as Perez had kind of compromised his chances of, of being a, a, a contender for the win on Saturday, and at that point, I think morally... Red Bull have got the option to just use him as a tool. And yes, he was c- close enough to Lewis today, only by default, because Lewis also struggled on Saturday, to be a, a pain for Lewis when he's thinking about his pit strategy. Um, but yeah, it's um, it was always going to be a case of, right, how can we utilise Perez now? It was never going to be a case of, how do we get Perez the best possible position? So if Sergio Perez wants to make himself so that they're considering not how to help Max, but how to get his best result... He needs to sort out the Saturday. Yep. And with the... Now, what will be interesting to me, and we should all pay attention to this, um, and I do want to talk about the Bindi Wing thing. Sure. But regardless of what happens in Baku, Bindi Wings are gone, unless Red Bull is so clever, they've still got a Bindi Wing and pass the new test as well, which I could sort of see them doing just on principle, but whatever, we'll leave that. We'll pretend they go away. I'm going to be very interested to see the qualifying gap between Perez and Verstappen once the bendy rear wing goes away, because that may have been a real influence and struggle for all of the Red Bull second drivers. Because again, you're talking about a car that loses downforce in high speed turns. Very counterintuitive to drive into that, I would think. Okay, let's go down the grid, but I will just pause to say uh, the statistics 
I just want to do a little stats thing. I just want to kind of congratulate not just me and the and the podcast, but the panel who put a lot of work and effort and passion and soul and emotional commitment to Missed Apex podcast. We do value numbers. We do score ourselves on audience. And for the Bahrain Grand Prix, and uh, I'm using the Bahrain Grand Prix because the standard podcast measure is a, a month. So it's pod downloads and watches after the first month. The Bahrain Grand Prix had 30,000 across YouTube and downloads. 30,000 people tuned in across the live stream, the edited video version, and the audio download. Um, what did I say? 30,000? Silly me. 34,000. There will be some crossover. Some people who watch the live stream will also later download it as well. They're still very impressive numbers. That had settled down to just over 30,000 for the Barcelona Grand Prix as well, although that was only two weeks ago. So I just want to give us a big pat on the back, and I want to thank everybody who has shared Missed Apex podcast. We always put a link in the show notes so that you can share it with your friends. We understand if you want to take our moderately intelligent takes and pass them off as your own. So you might not want to share it with your friends because you might want to be the guy who just says, ah, I I heard this thing and I'm going to pass it off as my own opinion. We respect that. We've all done that. But if you want to share it with your friends, there's a link in the show notes below. So thank you to everyone who shared it. And thank you very much to my panel whose commitment I cannot fault, and I like them mostly. Good. Down the grid, Matt. You wanted to talk well, about Aston Martin. We I also do, we need to talk about Ferrari also more, and we need to talk about Lando as well. Right. So we will talk about Ferrari. We'll talk, but I want to talk about the king of strategy here, because you would think maybe Red Bull getting Perez up all those places. I think it was six places in the end. Although one of those is a clerk, so five places. He gained the most from using that strategy. But I'll tell you why. I'm going to make the argument now that I rarely make why Bernie Collins and Aston Martin deserve to be kings of strategy this weekend. Not only did they get their boy Vettel up into fifth place by two tenths of a second over Gasly, which, yeah, that was exciting. But a little bit further back, we had Ocon go four laps longer than Giovinazzi overcut him, take over ninth place, and on the medium tires under which Alpine put him, which I am somewhat rolling my eyes at, he was able in the first six or seven laps to cut the deficit to 15 seconds, which meant that when Stroll, who was ahead of him, pitted on his long hard tire strategy, that Stroll would come out in P9, Alpine would have gained an extra spot. But as the race went on, those mediums started to suffer. There's a variety of entertaining reasons that I will not mention right now. But at the end of it all, uh, around about lap 60-ish, I guess, um, Stroll, has the, Stroll had the, the gap. And I'm like, this is it. They're going to pit him this lap. They don't pit him this lap. Next lap, it's gone up even more. He's like 22 seconds. I'm like, they've got it. Next lap, Ocon call, claws it back at 20 seconds. No, what Aston did was they waited till Verstappen was lapping Ocon <sighs> to pit. Stroll, which guaranteed him that spot. And that's why I just, I want to call out Bernie and I want to call it Aston and say, yeah, well done. Very impressive. Wow. I didn't realize that. That was brilliant. I missed that little detail. I just thought they were, um, I thought they were just going until, until Stroll literally said, I'm out of tires, (laughs) hoping for a safety car. But that is genius using when the leader's coming around. Yeah. Totes to Aston Martin. I think everybody's happy to see to see them up there and move forward. It was quite funny and to mention that I have to mention was Vettel's comment in the interview 
saying that, oh, we haven't moaned about the regulations hurting us at all. But now we're <laughs> here and doing a better job because that was I found that highly amusing. Um I gotta give some props to Stroll, to be honest. He normally really struggles at Monaco. He's always been nowhere. He'd never got out of Q three before. Um and he did a solid job today. It was what was he eighth in the in the end? Not yep. far, but not far behind. I, I I think Stroll's I think Stroll's doing a good job this season in general. He's not being shown up by a four time world champion. And yes, he's had lots of time and blah blah blah. But he's doing the job. Monaco. And and considering I had a catchphrase that was, which was "get out of my sport" that was mainly phrased at Lance. I take it away now. He's he's fine now. Yeah, and I know you, know you hate it, Spanish. No, but I'm no, sorry. no. Hey, hey, look. But... <laughs> with with commitment, persevering, personal trainers, five years of opportunity without any consequence of results and billions and billions of dollars, you can really go out there and achieve your dreams. Look, look, look. He's doing fine. I don't. I, I couldn't resist that joke. I'm so sorry, Alex. Tell me you're bitter without telling me you're bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you're a TikTok fan without telling me you're a TikTok fan. Uh, would you take a bet with me, Alex, between now and the end of the season? Fresh start, nil-nil. Now to the end of the season, points. Seb will win. Seb will win. Okay, so you won't yeah. take that bet. Yeah. Oh, Carl oh, will. I will. I'm always up for a bit of mild gambling. Always. Um, I need yeah. to save you from yourself here. Are you sure? Okay, then how much do we call it? 20p? 20p. <laughs> 20p bet. <laughs> um, 20p. I bet that Stroll will beat Vettel by the end of the season. All right. Uh, hang on. Yes, but we're talking about a nil-nil now. So make it zero-zero yeah, now. now. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, let's call it a pint, Carl. Done. Done. Nice one. Uh, Matt, Ferrari, uh, we have to give them their props. Uh, apart from apart from the outrageous gamble, uh, which you can, which I can forgive, honestly, because Leclerc's sixth today. If he starts sixth, maybe there's a double podium. Most likely, he's fourth or fifth or sixth with signed second. The prize, the gamble was a win. In a season that they're not fighting for the championship, maybe they made the right gamble. Maybe they should have gone for it. Yes, and had they started with drive shafts that worked yeah. in the gearbox, <laughs> yes, failed, that. you would have a point. But the drive shaft failed. It was a failure that would have been... Again, if they inspected it and didn't see anything, that's one thing. If they didn't inspect it, okay, maybe that's another thing. But the fact of the matter is they thought the gearbox was fine and they paid special attention to it. So, yeah, I don't have any problem with them. Uh, It's just the racing gods have a thing for Leclerc at Monaco. I already told you. He made made a deal with the F1 devil. But wait wait a minute. Go on, Alex. He also DNF'd in his two F2 races there as well. Oh, no, that's not a true thing. No way. That's not real. Is that real? Oh, that's savage. Okay, Matt, tell me why Ferrari's pace here is indicative of their future performance in the 2021 season and why the whole Tafosi should be hopeful and, well, hopeful. I don't know why I added and. By the time I said hopeful, the sentence was finished. They should be hopeful because Monaco is the least power sensitive track we will see all season long. When you remove power from the equation, you see exactly how well Ferrari can do. That points to them understanding their car and their platform fairly well. Now, granted, that all changes massively for 2022. But the fact of the matter is they have, within six races, put themselves into third place in a way that is not really looking approachable by any other team meaning that their statement, I'm devoting all of my resources, 90% of my resources to 2022 is absolutely believable. If we assume they will finish fixing their power unit, 
issues and will be on there or thereabouts once again with Ferrari uh, with um, Mercedes and Honda. Well, then now I'm looking at a Ferrari in 2022 that's fighting for the uh, fighting for the win. Wait a minute, was that Carlos's signs first podium? No. Was. What? No, it wasn't. Well, with Ferrari. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's not. That's a low bar. It was Monza yeah. last year. Yeah. Okay. Good. You've written that in the notes. Signs his first podium. You've not said his first podium for Ferrari. Anyway, well, whatever. Implied. Whatever. Congrats. Good save. Yeah. Okay. Lando Norris, uh, Alex. It's it's felt like it's a long time coming to just for the rest of F one to appreciate Lando Norris. But this season, I think people are starting to sit up and pay attention. Bit of a blip in Barcelona, uh, but this was this was great. Boy's third in the championship. Lapped his teammate who won here three years ago, um, who is one of the quickest round this circuit that there's ever been. So uh, he's just been phenomenal. He hasn't made mistakes apart from he did get a black and white flag today for, um, I'm assuming, going off at the seafront. Yeah, yeah, she can, yeah. Um, but as far as he's just been solid, he's there in qualifying. His qualifying pace is astounding, um, especially compared to his teammate who is especially good at qualifying um listen i'm giving danny rick a pass just because i like danny rick and i believe in danny rick he ran max verstappen really really close and i just believe he hasn't got his feet under the table with this team yet let alone the car i think he hasn't got his feet on table with the team yet um especially because there was a comment made which i think kyle wants to make because he probably heard it and i didn't oh um i was going to say we've Danny Rick, yeah, um, he he actually said that the the setups on the cars are almost identical and he doesn't want to start messing around trying to make the car towards him. He's trying to adapt himself more towards the car, which is which is which is noble. Yes, it's good, but are we detecting a slight bit of needle between Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris now? I said with, it was gonna um, happen. Yeah, yeah, like his um his yeah, he called. He referred to him as car number four. I and then didn't when... see this, Carl. I didn't see this. I saw it on Twitter. Daniel Ricciardo, this is absolutely huge. Did he refer to Lando Norris as car number four? Yes, with a wry smile. But then if you look at Lando's interview and they're telling him about how you work with a new teammate and sharing data, and he was like, well, I don't know. And he was a bit frosty and a bit sort of sheepish. I think there's a little bit of a needle between those two. I've definitely said this in our WhatsApp chat. I may have said it on a podcast, but... I just because you have the two happiest people in Formula One in the same team, I said this was going to happen, and I I said there was going to be fallout between these two. I thought it would come through a clash because they're going to hit each other at some point as well. I, yeah. I genuinely believe that. No, no, I, um, I I have definitely publicly said on this podcast that I believe that that would not be a good pairing. Everyone was just expecting like a YouTube, Twitch, TikTok style phenomenal comedy pairing, but I tell you what. Lando's not been the clown prince of F1 this season. He just hasn't. He's just knuckled down. Um, I like that. And also, uh, I've I've long said on this podcast that Daniel Ricciardo is secretly evil. And I think that it will come out at some point. The thing is, is all the drive in, in Drive to Survive, um, you've seen bits of stuff that didn't make it into the show come out. And everyone says who's the nicest person on the grid and everyone says Danny Rick. So right. I don't believe he's evil like you do. And I've met him and he's lovely. Um, and I have a ridiculous video that he made with me, which he didn't need to make. I've seen did. that and it was lovely. And um, I just, but I just believe these two ultra positive, um, high energy, funny people aren't going to make 
aren't going to be out in deck. No. Um, <laughs> and that's the and... comparison. Okay. Yes, they're not going to be. Sorry, US viewers, Ant and Deck. Who's a equivalent to Ant and Deck in the US, Matt? Like a comedy pairing pair of presenters. But no, they're not going to be that. They are going to be fierce, fierce competitors, Matt. And I think you will see Daniel Ricardo's uh, competitive spirit and his aggression. There is a core aggression to Daniel Ricardo, and it will come out. We're going to see it this season. And I would say, especially if he continue, continues to languish this far behind his team. Ooh, you What's didn't it? say languish. I did. That's Although harsh. my own personal, uh, my own personal um, measure is easily half a season to fully adapt to sure, a new team. Absolutely. He's got a new power unit yeah. and a new team issues with the brakes, which is where he makes the biggest difference in his lap time anyway. So I, I'm not really fussed by it. On the other hand, if he's fussed by it, I think we'll see that happen sooner rather than later. On the, if he gets on top of it and it's more 50-50, I can see him chilling out a little bit. Let's, um, let's hope that McLaren are fighting for podiums because the higher the stakes between Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo, the more fireworks, uh, I think, we're going to see. All right, guys, I think we've covered most of the interesting points uh, in the race. We've gone an hour 18 from a Monaco Grand Prix that had zero overtaking attempts. Whatever. We've kept you company, hopefully, on your Monday morning commute or whilst you're doing a task such as mowing the lawn. That's when I listen to my favourite podcasts. Um, we should also just talk about how we think this is affecting the championship because uh, Max Verstappen is now the championship leader, guys. Uh, and Red Bull are also leading the Constructors' Championship, Vangine has just mouthed at me. And I will say, Vangine, you seem to think that A, I can understand lip reading. I just caught that one. And B, you keep spelling out letters with your finger. Can't I can't understand what you're doing when you do that. Uh, yeah, hey, look, 2021, Max Verstappen and Red Bull are leading both championships. How do you like them apples? Matt? I love them apples because he's only leading the championship by four and Red Bull by a single point. But here is the thing that I will bring up to entirely derail you. Do you know who's in third place in the driver's championship? I do now? know who's in third place in the driver championship and it's Lando Norris. Indeed it is. So we can once again, whenever you feel like it, play the game of who should we hire to replace Botas if we were hiring people to play <laughs> replace Botas, which is not confirmed by any 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 no, any actual intelligence don't understand we have anything, no. No, no, yeah, you know, that's an interesting conversation and we will have some news and catch-up shows between now and the next Grand Prix. I'm so confused when the next Grand Prix is. I think it's Paul Ricard 1? No? What's the next Baku. Grand Prix? Oh, we've got Baku. Thank you, Baku, for bringing us a Grand Prix. And as we know, we've got Schrodinger's Baku, haven't we? Where, where it's either a race where nothing happens at all because it's a street circuit or a race in which someone bins it into turn one and there's a safety car and then it's vaguely interesting. Four cars finish. And four cars finish, yeah, exactly. It could be either one of those Bakus. Well, gentlemen, I suggest it's time we move on to the podium. Describe your worst Formula One weekend. Well, if it's this, then it's absolutely fine because I got to sit in front of a TV screen, watch the most fantastic prototype sports cars in the world, dicing with each other in, yes, a train at some point. But I will say, although a lot of people are saying this is one of the, the dullest and worst Monaco Grand Prix that we've had, even compared to other dry 
Monaco Grand Prix, watching the timing screens, we saw in this race, more than other races perhaps, that there were drivers pushing during the race. And I was really pleased to see that. There was opportunities for drivers to show their pace. I don't think it was expressed in the broadcast. However, if you if you did see the timing screens, I don't know, is, is it a five or a month to do the, the live timing, Matt? I think it adds such an element to a race that is seemingly boring. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not getting a cut. But since we've been watching those timing screens, we really, we can see. It's so obvious to see because we thought, oh, Perez is, is charging. He's making a charge. Oh, no, Sainz is making up that time. Perez is going to have to pit. And we could see the, the, the battle developing between Perez and uh, and Lando Norris. And we go, well, he's going to make it, but he's not got a big delta. Norris is keeping up. He's complaining complaining about his tyres, but he's in the 16s. He's going to be able to defend. It adds a massive element. And I think in a lot of ways, this was actually one of the best of Monaco Grand Prix. It was. In fact, my favourite uh, useless statistic is the fact that from lab 49, Giovinazzi was within DRS on Ocon for P9 all the way to the end of the race, and he never was able to quite make it work, which, you know, defending is like the most boring thing to watch on TV. But if you're watching it on a timing screen like that, man, that's pretty impressive. Gio's another one who's done a good job this season. Yeah. After being sort of nowhere last season, he's he's, he's done a completely acceptable, decent job yeah. this year. He's kept Kimmy honest. I think, he's, is he beating Kimmy in the points? I haven't seen the points lately. Well, yeah, they only have one point and they scored it today. Okay. And that was Giovanni. There we go then. So, and he, and he, also, he also didn't run into his teammate. His teammate ran into him a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? So. And I think he's winning the qualifying battle, or at least the um, the, the pace battle. Yeah. Gio's gone from to hmm. That's pretty much what we've got now. Um, so the most uninterested sort of a driver pairing on the grid. But, the, um, but yeah, he put in a really solid job. And I think... His pace he showed he could have he could have moved moved forward. And again, he is he is outperforming an ex world champion. Yes, that is a thing that is technically true. Let's move on. No, Matt uh, Alex, let's not move on yet. You you Sorry. say things. Apart from um apart from Lewis, all the other ex Formula One world champions are being outperformed by their teammates this season so far. Is that right? And Lewis was mostly outperformed by his teammate this week as well this is the part of missed apex podcast where we give out some awards the first award is the thing of the weekend (laughs) that's right thing of the weekend got a bumper and a video thing that was jazzy alex did you not did you not like that come on it's good that production values completely you've completely caught me out with all the new jingles this week (laughs) yeah man but who caught you out with their talent and or amazingness what or who is your thing of the weekend my thing of the weekend was f1's biggest bromance which is lando and carlos being on the podium that was a big happy moment um and um, yeah, it was a very it was in a very 2012 podium with a Ferrari, a McLaren, and a Red Bull on the podium. But to see those two up there as the as the good mates as we know they are, um, that really was a nice, warm, happy feeling at the end of the race. Follow Alex Van Jean on YouTube by searching for Alex Van Jean V A N. Alex, smile while I'm doing this bit for the video. Alex V A N G E E N. Alex Van Jean on Twitter. Follow him for interesting opinions about Formula One and also some. Great great VR and gaming stuff on YouTube. 
let's find out from Carl Power what was your thing of the weekend. My thing of the weekend was seeing an old four times world champion in the new team putting in a stellar Damn, performance and moving mine. up the field to cash. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not really. But <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, Vettel kind of showing that he's he's still he's still there. He's still fighting. I'm actually now a little bit hopeful. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do because Barcelona. He looked decent. In, in fact, you know, there, it, it was there. It was bubbling under the surface. But the results and the weekends had not come together. It's not enough to be fast. It's not enough to be good. You have to put weekends together. Yeah, and they're all expecting big things from it. It was kind of under a lot of pressure. And after the first race or two, I was getting genuinely concerned that he wasn't going to fulfill his contract and would end up retiring <laughs> like in a whimper at mid-season. So it's really nice to see him come back on strong. If you're a fan of a driver that's not been doing well in 2021 so far, especially one that's moved teams, yeah, I'm not, not saying just me, but other people. Just have patience. I think uh, some of these things uh, will settle. Follow Kyle at KylePowerF1 on Twitter for interesting opinions about beard grooming. That's all he tweets about, beard grooming and low reflection glasses. Matt, two rumpets. Who's your thing of the weekend? Well, this is, this is Kyle has put me uh, behind the eight ball here because I was going to go with the... Uh, race engineers, the strategists at Aston Martin, because they could just completely impress me with being entirely and totally on top of it. But I think I could go one step longer and say the overcut was the thing of the weekend and seeing people work that strategy and make it happen just brought so much joy because it almost is never the right strategy. But here it worked and it was a treat. Absolutely. I'm going to give my thing of the week. I'm not just doing this for effect, guys. I'm giving my thing of the weekend to Ferrari and it's not it's not a like, oh, look at me. I'm being magnanimous because Ferrari didn't win. I can give them thing of the weekend. I genuinely think they've had weaknesses over the last couple of seasons. They've identified Monaco as a, a big one to go for. And I wouldn't have put it beyond them to even have Monaco in mind as a potential kind of glory weekend uh, at the beginning of the season. So it didn't quite work out well, um, but I am also glad for uh, the Tafosi that they had at least their dog in the fight this weekend. Kyle, do you do you doubt my genuineness in this thing of the weekend? I don't. And to add to it, also with the mood and with our friend Charlie Leclerc in there, how he how admirably he dealt with it. He was there with the team. He made the national anthem before the race started. He wasn't walking around with a face like a slapped something or other he was standing there and he was and the team were with yeah, him at the yeah, end of yeah, the yeah, first yeah. congratulate carlos so yeah the way so yeah it, it was a warm fuzzy feeling time for ferrari this weekend wasn't it absolutely look we've done warm fuzzy thing of the weekends we've complimented so many people ferrari the aston martin vettel uh the overcut all sorts of things haven't we we've been lovely uh let's do a, a bad thing award oh no you missed the apex this is the bad thing award. This is where we judge people from our sofas and sheds. And I'm going to go first because I don't want anyone to nick this. I'm sorry, it's David Coulthard. Your why? No, the interview with Serena Williams. I don't understand. Serena Williams has done nothing wrong there. I don't know why she was there. The flag waving's fine. To get a celebrity to get a top athlete to wave the checkered flag Alex that's completely great I love that you don't need to ask someone who clearly doesn't know anything about Formula One their opinion about the race they've just seen she couldn't even do that properly 
Did you not bear in mind she swings a tennis racket for a living? Yeah. She couldn't flag flag a flag. She couldn't throw a flag properly. She had was the most rigid. It did I'd look. Ever it seen. did look uncomfortable. But it was fact, so bad. She wanted to get it right. She's an athlete. She wanted to get it right. No one's going to beat Chris Hemsworth doing the flag waving where he did that promo video. I think it was for IndyCar, wasn't it? He was like, sometimes you wave the flag, other times the flag waves you, Kyle. But that was, I think, her being an amazing tennis player was the reason why she couldn't wave the flag. She right. was holding that like a massive power backhand yeah. was just about to come. She was supposed to have a baseline backhand. And, yeah. and, and you see her in the middle of it, and then also she goes, oh, I'm waving a flag, not a racket, and then suddenly switched. What was clear was that nobody had briefed her on how to wave a flag, so I'm not blaming Serena Williams at all, because uh, after the leaders came through, it, it cut to... Uh, her waving the flag and there was someone clearly with a hand on the flag demonstrating to her in real time how to do it so she it's like, let's from now on let's have celebrity flag waving that's brilliant I was invited to wave a flag at an event once it was brilliant and I nearly got it right as well uh, but let's give them a like a familiarisation course there is actually some sort of skill to it. It sounds stupid, but when you go and do marshalling trailing, if everyone's been a marshal before on a racetrack, you a section of it is you have to stand there and wave a flag for five minutes above your head nonstop to see if you've got the endurance <laughs> to do it. And that yeah. is part of you getting your marshal license. Okay, but just like if if the person you're interviewing is uncomfortable after your first question, just say thank you very much and move on. I had to pause it. I don't know how it went after the first two questions. I paused it and then I fast-forwarded past it alex van jean sitting there looking all swarthy who's your missed apex award going to the entire mercedes team including the drivers oh no um, poor mercedes mercedes are a phenomenal team and they've pulled uh, off some tactical masterclasses this season which is why they get it you know they have won seven titles in a row they know how to do this stuff and they got basic fundamentals wrong they didn't listen to their driver on setup, and there was obviously some sort of uh, disagreement between the team. Then Bottas shows that he hasn't got the pace to stand up when it's actually needed at the end of the stint, and then Merck royally screw up Lewis's strategy and, and throw away stop. a yeah. relatively easy second place for Valtteri yep. Bottas. So the entire Merck organisation was poor this weekend from from the very top to the very bottom. So they must have had some sort of weird... It's only when normally when they have like a novelty thing, like the Lederhosen or the 50s kit. Matt, they must have had some something. Alex, did they have some celebration going on? Not particularly, but it's just a case of Monaco just seems to be a disaster for them. They just seem to always have issues at Monaco. Remember they had the issue with bringing Lewis in a couple of years ago when he lost out to Seb um, because the, their, their computer tracking was wrong. Where yet, yeah, all of us looking at, yet all of us looking at the telly going... Why are you pitting? <laughs> you haven't got a big enough gap. Why are you? Oh, you've pitted. Oh, you're third. Yeah, just. And there was uh, some double stacking going on as well that lost them a double uh, one two a few years back, Matt. Yeah, I, I was going to go with the later hose. I was going to say the last time they did this poorly, uh, they were all in later hose, and, and at least they had some kind of an excuse. But here <laughs> they were just, I guess, on a yacht or something. I don't know. Well, like I said, I think this is the this is the race to have a bad race. Obviously, you want to win Monaco, but let's have the bad race at a track that is not representative of, of the other tracks at least and just forget about it, put a line under it and move on. And um, credit to Total Wolf, he always comes out and says, it was terrible, we did bad, it wasn't good enough, we're going to improve, we're hurting. And that's what I, I like that from Mercedes. They don't they don't hide when they're hurting, they just say uh, we're hurting. Uh, and I liked the, the video that Toto Wolf put out. But Matt Trumpets, who are you judging from your study in Brooklyn 
to be the one that's missed the apex? Well, not so much missed as directly impacted. <laughs> Leclerc. Leclerc. <laughs> I have nothing else I can say. Minus that, uh, I think Ferrari was in for potentially a double podium had yeah. the rest of the race played out the way it did, as is their one driver managed to finish second. So you just left with a, what might have been the case had Leclerc been able to take the start. Ah, well, I, I was going to say my missed apex was going to be Lewis Hamilton, but I think, um, I think Alex has covered that. So I've actually got two. Okay. One of them being um, Fernando Alonso. Haven't even mentioned his name throughout this. So where was he all he weekend? Raced. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. So, um, so it was that. So I don't know where he was, but the main one was the, um, was the TV directing of yeah. missing. Damn, that was managing mine. to miss. I mean, the guy who was a TV director. I'd love to see some of his family videos, child christening, look at buffet, oh, you know, just, um, just missing things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, he was he was my main missed apex. Like like the only bits of action we were going to see, and somehow managed to miss them. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to give my missed apex award to Sergio Perez for yet another woeful Saturday. Please sort it out so I can start being smug and, and, and definitely saying that it was the correct decision to hire him. Come on, we, I know when these Saturdays get sorted out at tracks where you can pass or at tracks where a poor start and poor qualifying isn't as detrimental, I'm hoping for better weekends, Alex. Maybe Max is just really good. It could be that. It could be that. It could be that. Maybe. Yeah, it could know. be that. And I'm having to bite my tongue because the weekend, I think I said to, to Kyle there about Vettel, it's not enough to be good. It's not enough to be fast. It's not enough to do well in a session. You have to put a weekend together. Let's let Perez get that weekend together and, and then see where you can go from from there. With with Albon, it never felt like those weekends were coming together. I still feel like there's a Perez weekend uh, about to come soon in the next few races. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to start seriously assessing what I think about it. At the end of his stint, coming towards the end of his stint before his pit stop, Perez had the best pace on the entire track. So he's definitely got something there so and, yeah i don't think all hope is lost i agree with you i believe that i believe that it's coming um but we're at the end of the fifth race now and we yep, said yep, for yep, pretty yep. much yeah, all yeah, new yeah, boys yeah 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 you give them five races yeah yeah baku again baku's a bit weird so maybe by austria yeah um everyone should be up to speed by austria and i, I don't think by as far as i'm concerned by austria there's no more excuses i i agree and also barcelona as well there was points in the race where you know they were even saying like this is where you this is where you're missing out to perez and max is sitting there going wait well hang on a minute perez isn't fighting off blinking lewis hamilton here so we'll see we'll see uh we'll hold station on that for for just a little while and we have one uh, penultimate award it's this one <laughs> the Pony Award, generally given to people who give, uh, let's say, emotional, uh, charged pit radio or interview answers. The obvious one, I think, is... In fact, no, let's give it to the panel. Hands up. Who's got a pony? Alex Vanji. Toto Wolf. Really? Um, for after the race, when he said, right, we've got Baku next week. If Red Bull bring their bendy wings, we're going to complain to the stewards. And if the stewards don't do anything about it, we're going to go to the official court of appeal. I'm just like, whoa, chill out, Toto. <laughs> but what it does sound like is that is a warning shot to Red Bull, which is 
bring your bendy wings if you dare, because they, they Miss Merck believe they have a case. Bring your bendy wings if you dare, because if you do, we're going to protest it at the end of the weekend. Anything you do, you have the potential of losing. So it's a warning shot to Red Bull, but it did sound, but because he was so annoyed about how the race had gone, it came across very pony. Yeah, and, and also, Matt, in a further interview, they said, Toto, what is best in life? And he said, to see our enemies fallen before us, hear the lamentations of their women and see stiffness in their wings. Also heard Lewis and Toto both mentioned during the weekend, they think those bendy wings are going to be a massive advantage at um, at, at Baku. Lewis said like up to six tenths. I don't know whether that's true or not. Oh, yeah, and they're not called bendy wings. They're called limbo wings. Everyone's been calling them limbo wings and Ted did the limbo at the, at the, at the, on his notebook. Uh, I'm sorry, that's wrong. They are and always will be bendy wings on this show. Um, yeah, that was actually Alex. You have appropriated my pony because I was making, I was going the exact same direction. It is a massive overkill from a team that was hauled into that very same International Court of Appeals for their not entirely illegal that they got away with tire test that gave them a massive advantage throughout this entire era of of uh, regulations uh, to then threaten. Red Bull because they either don't want to spend the money or simply can't develop the same kind of part that Red Bull has. It's ridiculous, especially because it's going away after Baku anyway. Pony, Kyle? Yeah. Ah, yes. My, um, my pony. Uh, I'm surprised nobody has taken it yet, and I'm probably going to steal yours again. Spanner, <laughs> sorry. You should stop putting me before you. Sorry. Um, Lewis Hamilton. Sure. On the team radio. Uh, it has to be, yes, he gets hated on an awful lot, but we have to pull him up when I think it's Fair enough. He's obviously frustrated with the team, but he was absolutely really going for it. And yep, yep, the dummy had come out of the cockpit then. And I actually said in our group chat, I think, right, his head's down now, his mm. bottom lip's out. He's not going to be doing much, even if he had the chance now. I think he completely just pretty much gave up. So yeah, he gets my pony award, I'm afraid. The shock horror, I want to defend Lewis. <laughs> but only because Lewis had a go at them about a bad strategy, which we've all agreed was a terrible strategy. It has cost him the lead in the championship. It has cost Mercedes... No, no, Alex, I'm sorry. He should have said, oh dear, what a terrible bother. Never mind, chaps. Um, as I hurtle around these walls, let's think about how we can attack Baku all the best. And you had, during qualifying, Max went on a massive sweary rant after Le- after after Leclerc's That was cla- my pony. Crash. <laughs> so did Carlos Sainz. And they get nothing. And it's, it drives me nuts because there is a massive double standard. And yeah. we talked about this on the show before, which is what if Lewis Hamilton did it? And yes. it's so different for what others can say and Lewis can't. And I've got, there's a, I've got a tweet on my Twitter at Alex Van Jean about this earlier. I responded to somebody else's. And he just he can't get away with expressing any sort of emotion without being told off for it when anyone when everyone else can swear and get really angry yeah. and shout at the and and have a go at charlie like seb did a couple of years ago yep. and lewis can't say i'm really upset with this strategy you've cost me a championship lead and it's a pony if i'm being honest i never considered hamilton because he sounded a entirely too angry and b entirely too right about the point he was making okay, that's quite calm though carl for for being like livid it's reasonably calm 
Oh, no, I agree. And if I was Lewis, I probably would have done and said exactly the same thing. Imagine if it was Max doing that. But sorry, I have to look at this totally objectively sure. in this single case to try to treat everyone as fairly as possible as I do. And it was Lewis today for me. Fair enough. Uh, Catherine backs you up in the chat room by saying Lewis Bot must be perfect. That said, could we get Lance some vocal coaching for when he tells the engineer not to talk to him in corners? Okay, why, what happened? I missed that one. Don't talk to me in corners. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Well, that does sound quite yeah, it, it, just, it has an unfortunate uh, tone to it. One last award, and it's this one. Comment of the week. All right, Matt. We're running quite long. Uh, an hour and 40 for the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, sorry about that. Um, right. Comment of the week. Three contenders from our live chat. Who entertained you the most? Ooh. Uh, we will start with Wozawadeja. Turns out, if you want to finish first, you not first need to finish, you also need to start. Yep, harsh on the DNS from Charles Leclerc. Alex, let's get your candidate. How many can I have? Two. I've, oh, okay. Um, going back to um, Kyle's comments from earlier from Anton Beal, get your talcum powder, it's botty time. Yeah, we need to really have words with Kyle about <laughs> And um, there was lots about wheel nuts when it came to um, Bottas. Yeah, yeah it really, but, um, it really screwed his weekend. He must have been going. He must have been going my, absolutely nuts. He must have been threaders uh, at that pit stop. My favourite though was Nathan Smith. Bottas tire be like, I wheel nuts move. <laughs> Awful trumpets. Get this show back on the road. Uh, Right. Uh, John M is in complaining about the lack of overtaking in Monaco. Is like going to a fancy restaurant and complaining about the lack of heavy metal music. Calibrate your expectations. Absolutely. That is the key to enjoying your Monaco weekend. And I have Darren Johnston, our friend, in with there was a gulf of difference between the two McLaren drivers today. I, I get that reference. It's because, Matt, you might have missed it, but it's actually because they were sponsored by Gulf Oil and had a special livery to, to mark that sponsor deal. You know, I wish the F1 journalists had talked about it and really raised their expectations because really I would have been so excited had I known. Can I be really controversial? Apart from in the pictures on track, that golf livery didn't look very good. I liked it. I liked it just fine. Matt, who's our next and final candidate? And tell us the winner as well. Um, our final candidate is Avril Shahon. Rick rolled. Nah, we got Lance strolled. Uh, I am a little bit uh, disappointed that Lando Norris didn't do a shoey to assert full dominance in that in that McLaren pairing. But who is our winner of comment of the week, Matt? I am afraid it's going to have to be our friend John M. Complaining about the lack of overtaking in Monaco is like going to a fancy restaurant and complaining about the lack of heavy metal music. Well done, John. Comment of the week. Thank you very much, guys. I hope you enjoyed your Monaco Grand Prix weekend. I hope your expectations were suitable for the event that was ahead of you. And hopefully we can get more uh, high-octane passing and excitement in the future F1 races. Well, it's Baku next. That could go either way. Then we've got two Paul Ricards, so that will definitely be super-duper exciting. Uh, in fact, no, it's two Red Bull rings, I think, isn't it? And one Paul One Ricard. Paul Ricard, there two Red Bull rings. Ooh, that's the slightly better way around. So I think we've got uh, a few great months of Formula 
Formula One ahead of us. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being with us at Missed Apex Podcast. Follow me if you'd like at Spanners Ready on Twitter, Richard Ready on Facebook. We've got a Missed Apex Facebook group at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter if you want to follow the show. We've got an iRacing podcast. Um, search at Missed Apex podcast forward slash iRacing. I think it's on the MissedApex.net site. Anyway, there's great writing now on our site to go and check out. So if you want previews and roundups and uh, and and statistics go to mistapex.net scroll down past the silly video and audio podcasts and check out the written work by flip jacobson and his team we're really really proud of what's been going on there check out all the show notes so that you can support us at missed apex um at patreon.com forward slash missed apex if you need an email provider uh click the link to covox missed apex is official email service provider follow my panel at alex van jean on twitter and alex van jean on youtube at kyle power f1 on twitter at matt pt 55 on twitter and links to his wife's books in the show notes as well we've got lots planned before the next grand prix i hope we see you soon but wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast where we didn't moan about monaco that i think i did well i think i did really well i think like I could have, I could, I didn't externalize everything. You know, I kept a lot of it inside, just like feelings, Kyle. That's what you're meant to do with feelings too. Keep them in a, a tight ball on the inside. Just push them all the way down, all the way down, oh, absolutely. Kyle. Then let them explode out. Or when you're with your male friends and females are looking, you've got to like talk about them and stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. When they're rising to the surface, go, let me out. I need to emote. You go, 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 go. Shh, it's okay, feelings. Shh, it's going to be okay. Shh, until they're quiet and still. <laughs> I don't know if bringing out my feelings about the golf livery was a good thing or not. I think I've split the chat room. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I agree. I, like, it's, I think it's better than I've always hated the. Oh, I best not say that. Well, I don't hate- like the orange either. Yeah, no, I'm hate- with you. It's just- I, I like, like the orange. Golf better, like- and I'll tell you what, I love this shirt. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.